stand by for your guitar. Hey, hello, and welcome to Simon Says Let's Talk Business. This is your host, Al Simon, with Sandler Training on Business Radio X. This is our show, Simon Says Let's Talk Business, where we spotlight professionals and the excellent companies they represent. We discuss best practices in business today, and uh, so you're going to want to listen carefully, and you're going to want to get something to take notes with, because you're going to get some great ideas today that you can use in your world, and you may want to contact our guests, and so stay tuned as we go. We'll, you'll get, we'll give you an opportunity to write down how to contact them, and we've got great guests today. Uh, we're going to have an excellent show. We've got uh, two terrific business people today, Elliot Holland. Founder and Managing Director of Guardian Due Diligence. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you. Good to be here. And we've got Nick Keller, the CEO of Pernovis International. Welcome, Thanks. Nick. Thanks, Al. It's good to be here. So we're going to uh, spend a few minutes uh, talking about each of our guests and, the, and their businesses and, and uh, how you can use what they do to help yourself. Let's start with you, Elliot. Sure. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, man, you got a great smile. Everybody can see it on radio. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Look, it's it's big enough to see on radio for sure. Yeah, we can make all the jokes about it when we have a face for radio and all that. <laughs> we'll, we'll skip all that. I've stuff. heard them all. Yeah, we, me too. So, Elliot Holland, founder and managing director of Guardian Due Diligence. Yes. So I know what due diligence is from a sales standpoint. Right. That's when the prospect uh, uh, vets the. Um, the vendors that they want to use for some kind of a project or initiative. Exactly. And it's an arduous process and they don't really do it very well. Yes. So, yeah. So tell us, uh, in, your, in your case, yours is mostly private equity due diligence, right? Exactly. So tell us what that's all about and how you got in, into this business, if you would. Sure, absolutely. So Guardian Due Diligence helps family offices, business owners, and private investors execute business acquisitions by managing their grueling due diligence process for them. So we focus on finance, accounting, operations, and legal, and sort of help a person that has a deal that they want to acquire at a price to make sure that they vet all the things about that business that will continue to produce the cash flows they need to make the investment work and provide a report and a recommendation on actually executing on that acquisition. Okay, so you're mostly on the buyer side of the equation. Exactly. I'm a buy-side advisor, buy-side M&A advisor. They have all kinds of names for what I do. But I bet. Yeah, yeah, I try to keep the nice ones. You don't, you don't like that guy who does that stuff? <laughs> yeah, you know, you yeah. know, investment banking, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a broad list of names. But I got yeah. into it after business school. I started um, sort of just getting really interested into the investing culture. I thought some of the smartest people in my business school class were private equity investors and debt investors. And so mm -hmm. I thought being smart was good. I thought it was marketable. And I enjoyed the business and have started two different private equity companies and now a service company that actually helps people who are new to the industry execute deals. Okay, very cool. So how do you go about uh, finding your prospects? Sure, um, many ways. It's been interesting. So yeah. part of the reason I'm here is that I've had to go back to Marketing 101 to go to getting prospects, which has been an interesting place to be. There are probably four channels where I get them. So a lot of LinkedIn um, prospecting. Okay. Yeah. I have a website that does a lot of that work for me. Yeah, my personal network and my CRM. I still have all my notes from 2010 yeah. going forward, so I keep those. And then referrals. So 
So well, I was being nice say, to yeah. people and, and hopefully they are nice to me. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, investors know investors, right? So you can probably get a lot of, in, a lot of referrals. Exactly. Yeah. And referrals kind of help me with the trust because it's a very trust-oriented relationship when I'm helping you make a decision about $5, 10 $20 million of your money. Okay, cool. So what, what's the best acquisition these days as we start to enter the recovery phase from COVID pandemic? Are there certain businesses that are better than others and you know, more attractive to investors today? Yeah, I, I think the real businesses, some of the boring ones are the best ones now. So, for instance, um, moving trash. I don't think the, the, the demand of trash or the supply of it has changed much given COVID. In fact, it probably increased. And yeah, because so, there's a lot more takeout. <laughs> a lot more takeout. I've seen it in my, in my apartment. So yeah. uh, a waste business, a water business, um, an infrastructure business is great. Something okay. that sort of doesn't move so much up and down given how the market is. Right. I also think a long-term solid business, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's security, whether it's a lot of durable medical equipment and healthcare businesses okay. because we still have baby boomers that are retiring and yeah. taking care of themselves in the home. Those are the kind of businesses that I like the most and I think are most interesting right now. That's where I'm keeping my eyes open to. But not high tech? High tech is just not my thing. Okay. So there's a lot of smart people in high tech. There are. Bunch and of, I can, bunch of that going on, right? And we're bunch, both yeah. Georgia Tech engineer or Georgia Tech alum and so you those guys really love it. Go jackets. Go jackets. Yeah, we had to say that. Okay. Yeah. All right. They they love it. I'm very particular about understanding my lane and what I'm great at and focusing on it. If it was high tech, I would go find some of my high tech sort of collaborators to do that better. Yeah. Okay. In fact, you and I met on LinkedIn, I believe, right? That's, that's what, right. what we did. Yeah. 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 So that's that's a good point. Eating our own gumbo. There you go. Oh, hey, listen, I hang out on, on on LinkedIn all the time. In fact, with you know, during the pandemic, you know, the height of it, March, April early may you know i was probably on linkedin six seven hours a day i'm sure you were too right that was, absolutely that's where people were hanging out and i could get people on the phone that was the good thing about the the yeah. pandemic is that it was much easier to get people on the phone yeah i took full advantage it wasn't it amazing yeah because everybody's sitting at their computer all day with their phone by their side right, that's, right. yeah that's, that's, how about that okay so so you mentioned the, the kinds of clients you serve and, and how you find new ones um what have you tried in the past that uh that didn't work so sometime sort of referral business through centers of influence doesn't work if you don't really understand the incentives of the people that you're working with. So you can you can be good to the end customer but not good to the person who's making the referral even though they know you're end customer. And so there's been a bit of trial of error and sort of prioritizing the different centers of influence that I actually focus my attention on to be sure that there's some ability for them to benefit from that introduction either through an increase in person's assets or an increased service that's a differentiator for them when they talk to their clients. So let me be more specific. So think about an accounting firm that has a bunch of high net worth individuals that are investing all the time. Yes. That person could benefit because it'll be there'll be a lot of accounting fees associated with the deal. And so that's a great center of influence to go to. Yep. However, a private wealth manager that has their own shop not associated with the bank, going through them won't be as great because I would essentially be helping somebody take an allocation that that person's getting paid on away from them to put it in alternative asset class that they're not going to get a piece of. So I've had to, I had some false starts there where I had to sort of figure out where to spend my time. Yeah. So what's in it for the CPA firm then? So in each deal, you have to do some sort of audit of a private company. They call it a quality of earnings. Yeah. So let's say this hotel was independently owned. They would, and you wanted to buy it, they would give you financials, but at the time a seller actually goes to sell a business, it's one of the highest times that they have a huge motivation to 
forget things, let's say. Yes. Because you pay a multiple of profit or EBITDA to buy a business. And so when yeah. you're presented with some facts, you need to be sure that they're actually accurate. So the accounting firm is, is needed or someone to do essentially an audit on this private company's financials to make sure that the numbers actually tie out. So a business doing $2 million in EBITDA, you want to make sure it's $2 million and not 200000 And so the accounting firm that's making the referral to the client would then get the accounting services fees that they would not have gotten had that person not executed a deal. That makes perfect sense. So any CPA firm that's listening right now probably already knows this, but it would be good to understand exactly how they profit. Right? They get fees from services whenever any of their clients get referred to you. Absolutely. Some of my okay. best referrers in town are, are accounting firms, and the other ones are lawyers for the same reason. So okay. each deal needs a purchase agreement, an yeah. employment agreement, and a myriad of agreements that are legal. Yeah. And so a lawyer who knows someone who wants to execute a transaction, if they introduce them, then they can increase their transaction law fees and actually sort of gain more trust with their clients. So those are also great referral sources. Excellent. All right. So I, I got to ask you because, like, you know, you, you even said yourself, there's, an all, there's a lot of M&A people out there doing stuff and, and, um, and, and a lot of people that help the due diligence process beside yourself. So how are you better than them, the sure. others, the other guys? Yeah. So I'm in a niche market where for deals that are under $75 million in enterprise value, which are the lion's share, probably 60 to 70 percent of the transactions that are trading at any given time. Mm hmm. There's not a better resource to help somebody diligence a business of that size. Why is that? There's plenty of people that can do Wall Street stuff, you know, help sell Coke bottlers to Pepsi people and help, you know, these big tech companies and software companies do things. But when it comes to smaller deals, you have to really know where to look. Yes. And you only get that experience through doing it. And the people who got that experience doing it are often in an investing firm doing it and are very expensive. They're not available on a fractional basis. So for me and how I talk to people about it is if you're looking to do a deal under $75 million in enterprise value, which is really under $10 million of EBITDA, yeah. you really want a very detailed, oriented, thoughtful process person to come in and sort of manage that process because you want to be focused on how does this acquisition actually increase your values and your holdings, mm -hmm. which is difficult enough in a 90-day process to buy a business. You need someone to help you figure out are the numbers right, how do the number issues translate into legal things you need to do in the structure of the deal? And also you're managing a very, very, very touchy negotiation slash friendship with the seller who you're going to be business married to for some years after the transaction. There's a lot to do, and, and we're laser focused on that market doing that thing. Okay. All right. So basically you, you really just focus and and you're not dis, dis, you're not distracted by lots of other things. You're really you've got a few clients that you just hold their hand through the whole thing. That's it. We're like a Sherpa for people doing deals, or yeah. in a corporate setting, would be a corporate development person. That's the work that we provide. Okay. Well, you must have some great stories, huh? Oh, amazing stories. So, what's your favorite past client story? So I had a client, it was a, a New York-based sort of family that owned a business, and the business was being run by the second generation, who was a friend of mine from Harvard Business School. Okay. And she was looking to buy a business and brought me in to help with the acquisition process, so sourcing, evaluating, due diligence, closing, and everything. And it was so interesting because we got to a point where a tumultuous thing happened, right? Um, for privacy, I'll keep it there. Okay. But it ended up, it <laughs> Protect ended up, the innocent, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm in a private business, so you yeah. have to keep things private. I imagine you do. It ended up 
allowing for a negotiation for my my friend and client to actually purchase the family business from her father. Oh. Which was an amazing story that over a couple of cocktails I could tell. But to go in for <laughs> for one thing, right, that's hard and difficult and detail oriented. And yeah. then to on a, a random Tuesday see, oh my gosh, the stars are aligning for a generational wealth transfer. It blew my mind. I still like that moment. Yeah. I wish I could replay that day. But they hadn't thought about that prior to bringing you in. They hadn't discussed that themselves. You never know what people discuss in a family. Yeah. And so I deal a lot with family businesses and I, I make the assumption that everything is talked about. But I assume when I talk to them, nothing is talked about. Yeah. And you just kind of see. Yeah. Um, it might be, but, you know, your relationship with people in your family has 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of experience. Yeah. A new person with a new view can see something that you might not have seen or communicate it differently or, or say something like, you guys are eroding value here. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. You know, my, my, my kids don't want my business. They just, they've already, in fact, I was sitting there with my son watching a ball game or something a few years back. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I wonder if he would ever consider buying the business or, you know, getting, and I said, I said, Rob, have you ever considered sales? He looked at me and he said, oh, heck no. <laughs> That was pretty much the end of that story. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, Elliot, so where's all this going? What, 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 do, you, what do you see for the future of your business and, and really uh, due diligence in general? Sure. So there are a lot of trends that I see that have influenced me to stay in this niche and not move from it. Yeah. Um, baby boomers retiring, a lot more businesses for sale, a lot of institutional investors going up market, so looking for bigger companies. Yeah. Uh, so the smaller companies are available. The purchase prices are more reasonable in this place. Are they? So success is doing five to 10 deals a year for clients who I like working with, who create value through those acquisitions, who enjoy the process. Yeah. And I create a good income for myself. They have great acquisitions that are vetted and they're comfortable with making those choices, which can be very gut-wrenching when you're considering million-dollar investments in private companies. You must be like a psychologist in some of these things, huh? I, I wear a lot of hats. Yeah. You know? I wear <laughs> yeah. I wear a lot of quietly. I wear yeah. a lot of hats. Get, get people to calm down. <laughs> calm down, and then also people get in places where they fall in love with a deal. Yeah. Same way you fall in love with a car and yeah. kind of get raked over the coals or a house. Yes. Oftentimes my clients do because w what was in the initial presentation was so great and now you're looking at what it really is and you would buy what was in the presentation, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. But what it really is is different. And so yeah. managing that and then the family dynamics are interesting too because my father actually did the same thing that I do. Unfortunately he passed away before I could sort of walk into his business or acquire it. Yeah. But I understand the family dynamics. My dad hired and fired did. everybody in my family, including my mother and his first wife. So <laughs> I sort of understand how this goes. Okay, and it I there's a whole bunch of more questions I could ask you, but we're probably going to run out of time on that one. Okay, well, th again, this is uh, this is Simon Says Let's Talk Business. I'm your host, Al Simon, with Sandler Training, and we're on Business Radio X, and our guest has been Elliot Holland with Guardian Due Diligence. Elliot, this is great stuff, but I'm sure we've got listeners that would want to know how to get a hold of you. Maybe they want to invest. Maybe yes. they just want to pick your brain. Well, I don't know, right? How, how, what's the best way to do it? The best way is to go visit guardiandudiligence.com, just spelled out regularly. Okay. I can also be found on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn and respond. Um, either place, you can get me pretty easily. Okay. Guardiandudiligence.com. Correct. Or on LinkedIn, uh, Elliot Holland. 
Elliot Holland. Like the country. That's right. Yes. Two L's, two T's. A two, that's important because sometimes it's just one T, isn't it? That's right. Two L's, two T's for Elliot Holland. That would be also two L's. <laughs> there you go. Okay. It's very it's very structured. All right. Well, this is awesome. And you do such a great job uh, for uh, your clients, helping them find good partners uh, to invest in. That's great stuff. So, and so before we get to Nick, uh, I also want to remind our listeners to stay stay tuned after we talk to Nick because I'm going to be giving you uh, a, a sales tip that come from some of the questions that we get from our listeners when they send them in to us. And uh, so our, our second guest is Nick Keller. Nick is the CEO of Prenovus International. Thanks. It's uh, it's kind of a made-up title. It's yeah? owner, Does, CEO. Does it mean anything? Yeah, it's whatever. It, yeah. means, it means I pay the bills. It means you pay. <laughs> <laughs> that is what business ownership means, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's good stuff. So tell us how long you've been doing this and, and what is Pronovis? Uh, so I actually bought the company uh, last August 1st of last year. Yeah. Uh, I'd been in corporate America for a long time, and I was just very unhappy. I didn't – it's the same thing every day and all the politics. I just – I don't I don't like politics. I understand that. I don't that. like dealing with it. Yeah. And so I've been looking for something for a while, and I uh, came across this company, and I got interested in it. That was about two and a half years before I actually closed on the deal. Uh, and finally, we came to an agreement and bought it last August. But Congratulations. We, thanks. We uh, we manufacture dietary supplements. Okay, so you have a you have a plant somewhere. Yep, we sure do. All right, so tell us. Uh, uh, when you say you manufacture dietary supplements, uh, are you a chemist? Is that uh, I am not a chemist. Okay. I like I said, I pay the bills. Yes, and I come up with ideas that generally get shot down. But you know, I, I try. But you got people on that side of the things yeah. that all right. Yeah. Amazing. I'm not an expert at all. Yeah. I've, I've learned a lot in the last 11 months now. Have but, you? But I've got people to handle all that stuff for me. Okay. All right. So, but there's not, there's there's a lot of larger companies involved in that business, right? Yeah, so, there absolutely are, and they're more well-funded. Yeah. They've got more marketing dollars, and the business is it's all about marketing, which is kind of unfortunate for smaller companies to get into. It's It seems easy to start a, a supplement brand, but it's it takes a lot of marketing and a lot of just late nights and early mornings. So how do you compete? Just outwork them? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't say outwork them. I mean, I like to think other business owners are working as hard as we are. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of the bigger companies focus more on every nickel and dime and it's all about profit. Whereas, yeah, we're in it. We're in the business to make money. We're not in it to lose money by any means, but it's, you've got to have the relationship with the customer and that's, that's where we, where I think that we really shine. Yeah, you yourself, or you got other people that do that, or uh, myself and a couple other guys that work for me. Do you? Yeah. So you're out there talking, and, and this is what to retailers. Uh, well, so most of our business is actually uh, contract manufacturing for other brands. Okay. So it's just developing the relationship with those brands. All right. Our in-house brands that we sell is you know fifteen twenty percent of our revenue. Okay, but you've also got to get shelf space. Yep. How and do you do that? It's very difficult, and getting into the bigger retailers, which would be great um it's very challenging i'll bet so, so you, you still glad you bought this business <laughs> some days <laughs> yeah i understand <laughs> i understand but you're smiling looks like you like what you're doing huh yeah no i love it it's yeah. uh it's just every day is a challenge and it gets me up in the morning and it's, what are we going to do today that make the yeah. world a little bit a little bit of a better place have you got a you've got a manufacturing background or a process background nope i'm a mechanical engineer from georgia tech 
Hey, uh, go Jackets. Go Jackets. <laughs> Never actually worked as an engineer, but. <laughs> this may be the first time I've actually had all my guests and myself from Georgia Tech. That's this is pretty really, awesome. Yeah, go Jackets. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so so you get in this business, and uh, you're having fun, and, and you're, you're, you're working hard, obviously, um, and helping companies who have a current brand bring out new products. Uh, c- come out with new products or take their business from whoever they're getting it manufactured from. Okay. All so right. we've got a bunch of brands that have several, use several manufacturers and we just have a small piece of their business and we try to get more of it. And yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, but, you know, but why would a company uh, uh, choose to give you more of their, of their business? What, what, but what about the manufacturing process or the ingredients you use is, is attractive? I mean, there's nothing really specific about it uh, that, right. that sets us apart from anybody else. It's just, we really nurture that relationship with the customer and, you know, we're, we'll help them develop every product they want to do. You know, a lot of manufacturers just want you to give them the formula and they'll, they'll run it for you. Yeah. So it's just a numbers game, right? Yep. You give us a formula, we set it up, we run it. Exactly. But you're, you're actually digging in with them. You're really helping them to, to, uh, in, with a, with strategy as well as tactics I'm taking. Yeah. I mean, dig, yeah. digging in with them, um, or just completely designing it on our own wow and then you know submitting it's sharing it with them and saying you know what do you like about this is there anything you want to change you know that sounds really cool i bet that's a blast for you huh some days yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you mentioned to me something about doing the right thing what what does that mean to you nick um just like i said before everyone a lot of the big companies are they're just in it to make a dollar yeah it's make a decision that's gonna better society and not just better you yeah you know it's one thing i can help myself but it's if i can help somebody else and that in some way impacts you know 10 20 30 people down the road yeah that's much more valuable to me than you know me getting an extra dollar out of a product right right and dietary supplements i mean that is that's not going away right that's that's kind of kind of business that probably elliot can can help people invest in right it's not going away right going away yeah yeah and unfortunately we, we weren't really in the immunity space before COVID hit, yeah, and I wish we were. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. But you know what? You know, COVID's going to go away at some point. Yep. Right. So you know, if we all if we all stick to what we know works, uh, it will be fine. Right. You can't go back and say, "Hey, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done this." Right. You just can't no, do defi- that. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Nick. So so um, Nick Keller with Pronovis International. Nick, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? Uh, you just go to our website, pronovis.com, uh, and there's a form on there to send us an email okay. or uh, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and pretty responsive okay. messages. Okay. So the website is pronovis.com, P R I N O V U S. That's correct. Pronovis.com, and you're on LinkedIn as well. I am. And um, as, as uh, Nick Keller, K E L L E R, right? That's it. Very good. Yeah. Awesome stuff. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Al. This is great. Again, it's Al Simon with Sandler Training. And uh, this is Simon Says, Let's Talk Business, our show on Business Radio X. And uh, I've been Elliot Holland with Guardian Due Diligence and Nick Keller with Pronovis International. And uh, thanks, guys. Good, good stuff, huh? Good stuff. So our listeners are going to want to contact you and, um, and, and, and uh, plug into your intellectual property and, and uh, see if there's other ways that, that you can help them. All right, so as usual, we're going to take a look at a uh, question that was sent in from our listeners. And by the way, if you have questions that you'd like on sales, of course, is what we do at Sandler Training, sales and sales management training and coaching. 
If you've got questions about sales or sales management, send them to al.simon at sandler.com. And I'm actually going to address two questions today that uh, came from the same person. This person uh, wrote in and said, how do you get people to like salespeople? How do you get people, I'm assuming prospects, how do you get prospects to like salespeople? And then secondarily, how do you get people to buy from you? Well, let's take that first question. How do you get people, prospects, to buy from you? That may actually be the wrong question. If you think about it, it might be, how do you, how do you get prospects to trust you enough to want to buy from you? And that's really what we're talking about here. You know, you've all heard the, the saying, you know, people buy from people they like. That, that saying has been around for probably decades, if not centuries. Uh, but it, it actually doesn't go anywhere near deep enough. It just doesn't go deep enough. Um, there's a lot of people I like who I will never buy from. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they just can't come through right. They just can't. They can't get it right. They can't. Uh, you know, they they just can't produce. And so I don't trust them to produce, even though they're nice people. I like them. So you got to go f- a lot deeper than getting someone to like you by by being likable. That's just not going to be enough. And so, you know, we talked about, Elliot, we talked about, you know, you're, you're a psychologist sometimes, sometimes with your clients. And the same thing with, with, with people who are selling. You have to be a little bit of a psychologist and you have to use the psychology of getting people to feel like you are not unlike them. Think about it this way. We all have been on the phone with, let's say, with a customer service person and we immediately feel that disconnect because they don't talk like we do. Um, and, and they don't think like we do, maybe, and, and, and they do things. We go, hmm, I, I wouldn't do that, right? And, and, but, you know, and maybe they talk too slow or too fast or, or, or too loud or too soft. So we feel a disconnect. Huh. Well, whenever you're talking to a prospect or even back up a little bit to what we call a suspect, not yet a qualified prospect, you, you, you have to pay attention. You have to ask questions and listen carefully and find out what kind of a communicator are they. You know, how fast do they talk? How loud or soft? Uh, you know, uh, w- when they change their cadence of speech or, or, or when they change their tonality of speech, you know, that all means something, right? And just like, you know, if you're face-to-face, body language and the change in body language means something. If you pay attention to all that kind of stuff and, and really concentrate on communicating like your prospect communicates, that builds that rapport which builds the likeness because people do like people that they feel like are like themselves. And then if you do what you say you're going to do, eventually that trust will come. So that's, that's, the, that's the real answer to how do you get people to like salespeople is to make sure that you're doing things intentionally so that they feel like you are not unlike them. And they'll automatically, uh, it's, it's, it's psychology, they'll automatically feel comfortable communicating with you and eventually to trust you. Now, as far as the second question, how do you get people to buy from you? Well, once you've established that rapport where they feel comfortable communi- communicating with you and eventually to start to trust you, the way people buy or make buying decisions or even take any kind of action is because they have an issue, a problem, an objective, and they see you as the way to get that thing fixed. And, and, and so that's really it. It's not really all about the features and benefits of the stuff that we do as salespeople. No, it's, it's about the the prospect and what it is they're trying to accomplish and if we focus on that and focus on getting them f- to feel comfortable with us then you'll get each and every prospect no matter what their 
communication style is, no matter what their personality style is, you'll get them to start to trust you and be more likely to want to take action with you. And so we have to be psychologists. In fact, we say that, 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 that uh, true professional sales is like a Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist. That's what we say, because you really have to be into that, that interaction people to people, you know, because people buy from people. And that's, that's really the answer to the question. And that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's sales, probably not 101, but, you know, all professional salespeople need to master the art of communicating with others. And that's focusing on the other person. And, uh, and so there we go. So this has been another, another episode of Simon Says Let's Talk Business. Our guest, Elliot Holland, with Guardian Due Diligence. Nick Keller with Pronovus International. I'm Al Simon, your host with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. You can reach me at al.simon at sandler.com uh, or at simoninc.sandler.com on the internet. And uh, so, hey, good selling. Good selling. <laughs>